Welcome back to the D-Cover Podcast. You know how we do it. We can't afford to not record. Actually, we did afford to not record for a little while after draft because we took a little break, but we can't go too long. So uh, we're back. Uh, I'm, I'm joined, as always, by Chris and Carrie. Uh, Mike, we have a special guest. Uh, I'm going to jump right into him, right? I'm just going to go right into the guest introduction, and then I'll I'll, I'll check in with Carrie and Chris to see how they're doing. So, um we have we're joined we're joined this evening by uh, someone who many of you probably know from his YouTube channel, Sip to Tally. Uh, some of the best some of the best Ravens content, really just the best football content out there on YouTube. Um, you may know him from Twitter at Coach Evans Nine. And Coach, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if you're in the greater Tallahassee area, they might know you as an educator and officer coordinator at Amos P. Gobby High School. That's 100% correct. 100% correct. I am the OC uh, and an educator at Amos P. Godwin High School. Uh, my Twitter handle, you had all of it right, it's Coach Evans 9. Sip the Telefilms on YouTube. That's me. Hey, man, we put our we put our, our extensive research team on getting background <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that we, we gave, gave you a proper introduction. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we, we, we've got a, a, a buffet of Ravens topics to talk about tonight. But before we dive in, let me just touch base with the guys. I start off with Kerry. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. Um, you know, just hanging in there. Uh, this whole not getting a haircut thing is um, really forcing me to kind of look at some things with, with my as as it pertains to my hair. You know, when your hair grow out, you got to stop just using any kind of shampoo and, you know, <laughs> not taking care of it. So I had to you know, go get the right shampoo, conditioner, and moisturizer, and all that. So, you know, just doing that thing. You know, still looking like um, Marvin Gaye, but you know, I'm, I'm a little sheened up. I was gonna say, you sound like you got the Prince Hakeem. Juices and berries. And look, if you're looking like Marvin, it could be worse. I seen some folks out there looking like Grady. So <laughs> it could be a lot worse. But now, I ain't got now, there yet. <laughs> see, and 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 let, you know, look. I mean, if you get there, you get there. It is what it is. Um, but now, as I kick it over to Chris, he might be getting ready to rub this in our face because last I heard, Chris <laughs> got haircut. Is is this true? Is that is that report true, Chris? Yeah, I did get a haircut. Um, I got it last week. The barber hit me up. He was like, "Look, I'm fixing up my garage. Once I'm done, I'm calling you." And right, right when he finished, I didn't even hesitate. I was right over there getting my cut. So I, I my heart goes out to you, Kerry. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. It's hard out here. Yeah. Chris showing us all up, trying to stay, <laughs> trying to stay fresh, trying to stay clean during the quarantine. But hey, look, if your barber can put it down for you like that, I mean, I'm not gonna hate. You know, good for you. Hey man, it was it was becoming a safety hazard because my one year old kept pulling my hair, so I it was a safety hazard for me. <laughs> well, you know we do it for the kids. Everybody, exactly. we do it for the kids. So I'm glad uh, we're back, that, though. I'm glad we're back. It's been it, it's been it feels like it's been longer than two weeks, but um, I'm I'm glad we're back. Me too, man. But I 
I needed a little bit of a break after the draft because, as you know, you probably felt it even more than me. We basically didn't sleep for like three or four days. Uh, <laughs> so when you when when you're young, you know, you can do that. When you're 45 like me and you don't sleep for one day, you you feel it. You feel it for <laughs> full minutes to get yourself back together. So, uh, we needed that. But like you said, it's, it, it was it was too long. But we back. And and so with that, let's jump right in. Um, like I said, we we gonna do this kind of buffet style. And even though um, we did a draft recap pod, we didn't have Coach Evans. And so Coach Evans, I'm gonna start off with you. I'm, I'm probably gonna leave with you on all of our topics since you are okay. a guest. And just to get your you know blanks, you got a blank slate, man. Anywhere you want to go on the Ravens draft class, any player you want to touch on, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, I'll start off with the the first pick, Patrick Queen. And um, for those that don't know, I did a I did a evaluation of the top linebackers. And if you throw Isaiah Simmons out of the mix as far as because he's hybrid, uh, Patrick Queen was my number one linebacker. Also, I, th- I talked to a kid that uh, actually plays in the SEC, plays running back. And I asked him who did he think was the best uh, linebacker he faced this year. Patrick Queen came out of his mouth. And this kid I talked to led the SEC in rushing this year. And he said Patrick Queen was the was the best linebacker that he faced, and so that really is kind of where I went with that. And um, his input was was a lot to me because he was in the fire against those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second pick, not the second pick, but the second linebacker pick, Harrison. I think the only way we could afford to pick Harrison was to have somebody like Queen or somebody that you know could could run for the most part. Because if you just got Harrison, you got a thumper, but nobody that can really cover. But I think those yeah. two are going to work well together. They're going to work well off each other. Because obviously both of them can tackle. Uh, Queen's more of your sideline sideline guy. And Harrison is your B-gap to B-gap, knock your block off person. And Harrison, in that, in my evaluation, was probably the best tackler besides um, Evan Weaver. But Evan Weaver couldn't do anything else but tackle. <laughs> Evan Weaver was, he could play A-gap to A-gap, and that's it, and can tackle. And I had a huge argument on YouTube, I think, with a guy about Evan Weaver, and because um, I said that. And I, maybe it was his brother or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once that family gets involved, they, they take it to heart. Right, and I was just, I was being honest. He just, his hips were not good. He looked like he should have been a defensive end, but still, I stick to the Ravens. Um, the J.K. Dobbins pick, at the time, baffled me because, you know, I felt like we were good at, at running back. But the more I sat on it and thought about it and, and and was able to just digest it, I felt good about it because he was my second best running back in the draft. So we got, to me, the first best, the first linebacker and the, the second best running back, which to me is tremendous value, especially for what we do offensively and defensively. Uh, getting the two slot receivers, Prochet and Devin Duvernay, um, they're they're okay. They they give us a little variety. I would have rather had like a, a Mims or somebody else earlier than than that, a bigger body, speedy guy. But I think we just went off of a drop rate because their drop rate was low, 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 low. But um, Duvernay's drops were a lot. He had a lot of bubbles, not his drops. His catches were a lot of bubbles, a lot of quick screen stuff like that. Prochet actually had balls down the field. So Prochet is the guy I'm expecting to get in that rotation with Sneed and whoever else plays that slot. Duvernay is more your, your quick your quick screen guy, your bubble guy. And we need to do more of those things anyway to get guys out the box. We need to make the numbers game favorable in the box for Lamar and whoever the running backs are and those things. 
And uh, Roger Washington pick kind of baffled me, but after looking at tape on him, uh, I like it a little bit. I just don't see where he's going to fit in it because of, you know, our roster. And the Gino, I can't think of his last, whatever his last name is, the last pick. Stone. 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 I don't. I like Stone, but I just don't know where he fit because our secondary is is top tier. No doubt. No doubt. See, the thing. Let me let me just just piggyback, and I I'll, I'll let Carrie and um and Chris get their thoughts out there. The thing that I think the three of us agreed with on Stone is Stone is what I call one of those uh oh guys. So, like, if you're on the back end of the roster at the safety position, you think, of, uh-oh, when a dude like that gets drafted late. Because he reminds me, uh, just in terms of the situation, not necessarily, you know, how, how he plays, but in terms of the situation of Chuck Clark. Mm-hmm. Guy that gets taken late in the draft. And if you are, as much as I love him, if you Deshaun Elliott and can't stay on the field, if you Jordan Richards, um, who primarily a special teams guy, um, you know, if you some of those back end safety type guys, I think you got to you got to watch your butt a little bit uh, with a guy like this coming in with a chip on his shoulder. Thought he should have been drafted higher. Um, I expect him to just come in and work because that's what he did at Iowa. When you watch his tape at Iowa, not the fastest guy in the world, um, but, you know, good play recognition seems to, to to study film, have a good idea of what's going on, knows where to be. And, you know, just one of those, you know, put your head down and work type guys. And I think those guys, um, you know, always have a shot. So he, he's he's one of those guys that if I'm 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 one of those last couple safeties on the end of the roster, you better stay on the field. Right. Because if you give him an opportunity, um, it could be mm-hmm. trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let me let me go to you, Chris. You 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 want to, uh, you know, share any thoughts about any of uh, uh, Coach Evans comments or, or any of the, any of those players? Yeah, I think I think in, in real time, I think we um, pretty much all of us had the same kind of reactions. Uh, first, I want to hit on the um, the Dobbins pick, because I think at first, I mean, we weren't upset by it, but we were just a little bit a little bit confused. Maybe not Mike, because, Mike, you've been calling for the the RB at 55. You were calling for that for a while. So I don't think you were as surprised, but um, I know I was taken back by it just a little bit. But um, after, you know, time goes on and you think about it, it's like, hey, this dude is a bona fide stud at the running back position. And, you know, everybody wants to just say, oh, Gus Edwards, he he averaged X amount of yards in 2018 and 2019. You know, why would you spend a premium pick on a running back? But it's like, when you have a guy with that that kind of talent, he can take those carries and maximize them over a guy who's an undrafted free agent. Not to knock Gus, but there's a reason why J.K. Dobbins, you know, had first round consideration. You know, when you look at his his tra- his physical traits, how he sees the field, and the intangibles that he brings, it's it's sort of like when you look at it like that, it's like yeah, that's that's a no brainer pick right there when you. When you see how the how the Ravens like to pick with the BPA, so it was it was just a, a a perfect fit, perfect fit when you look at it. Now we we uh we talked about him, Chris. Where, you know, I'm I'm gonna like any guy who comes out and says, hey, you know, in 2018 had over a thousand yards, close to 10 touchdowns, maybe right around 10 touchdowns, and he called that season a failure. 
<laughs> then he came back in 2019 and ran for two G's and 20 something touchdowns. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always going to like uh, a guy with that kind of attitude. And coach, he he's trying to make me sound smart, saying that I, I always knew they were going to pick a running back at 55. I didn't know anything. All I did was look back at 2008 when they drafted Ray Rice. They drafted Ray Rice at that exact same pick, second round, 55, mm-hmm. and also drafted him a year after they signed, after they traded for Willis McGahee. So mm-hmm. I just looked at that situation and said, hey, look, they brought in a veteran running back back then. He had only been on the team for a year, right? And they signed him to a seven-year contract. And then the next year, in the next draft, they drafted a running back in the second round. And the situation just seemed so similar to me with Mark Ingram and that's the only reason. And my pick wasn't Dobbins, by the way. It was uh, Gus Edwards. It was uh, yeah, Edwards Allaire. Uh, nothing against Dobbins, but I, I just he reminded me of Ray Rice. And now after we've had a chance to really study Dobbins a little bit more since I've had a chance to, maybe I maybe I had the wrong Ray Rice comp. Maybe it should have been on J.K. Dobbins uh, and, and not on Edwards Allaire. But I think it was the pass catching. That that made me kind of kind of see Edwards Hilaire in that Ray Rice moment. So I I didn't know anything. I just went back and looked at the situations and figured you got guys in this personnel staff who were around back when that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Around Joe Ortiz was around. Obviously Ozzy was there. So I think guys remember situations and they think about you know hey maybe maybe we got another opportunity to 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 hit on another uh, good running back in the second round. So that's all I did. Carrie, let me take it to you. Did you have any uh, any comments on on any of uh, uh, Coach Evans' thoughts or any of the players? Yeah, Coach hit on something big with uh, Devin uh, Duvernay, and that's his ability to uh, be able to play in that screen game and you know do some jet sweeps and that kind of thing. And that's so valuable, man, to have someone that can that can bring that to the table. Um, you know, you look at the receiving core last year and. Really, Hollywood Brown is the only guy that you you kind of look at as a plus there. Uh, so to have another guy that's a threat uh, at that position, uh, I mean, even if that's I mean, that's not all he's going to do. But even if early on, if that's all he, he does, just the gravity of that and the threat that that brings. And like Coach said, kind of, uh, you know, loosen some things up um, in that box um, is huge. So his ability to do that. Um, his, you know, four three nine speed um, is going to open up some things, whether it's stretching the scene from the slot uh, or even outside, because I think he can, you know, be an outside receiver and do some things from that Z position as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was big. Uh, another thing, just kind of going back, I mean, we we kind of talked that nauseum about the, this draft class, you know, over the last couple episodes, but. Uh, Another thing that just kind of came back to me is that uh, probably for the first time in a while, they didn't draft a corner. And I think that is, you know, big for uh, the guys on the back end, Anthony uh, Averitt and um, uh, Biggie Marshall. Uh, I think that was a vote of confidence in those guys. Um, You know, Averitt as that slot corner, um, you know, depth and Biggie Marshall as that – uh, boundary corner depth, I think that that shows that the organization has at least some level of confidence in those guys uh, being that depth and being able to kind of, you know, jump in there if if need, um, you know, if they're needed. So I, I think, um, you know, that that's that's big to have young guys like that, um, you know, that are still early in their um, 
rookie scale deals that they feel confident enough in because, you know, they got Jimmy Smith on a um, on a value um, deal this year. But, you know, it's only a one year deal. So, you know, what happens after that? You need depth. And, um, you know, as these contracts start to come up with Lamar and these other guys, you may not be able to afford to go out there and spend money on your fourth corner like they're doing this year. So it's important to kind of get these guys, um, you know, um, developed and um, be able to trust them to go in there and, um, you know, give you some snaps. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, we we surprisingly, I don't think we did talk about the fact that they didn't draft a corner with with everything that we we talked about um, around the class. But I guess early it was it was before the draft where I think we we basically said that Marcus Peters was basically their their corner draft pick this year when they traded for him uh, kind of midway through the season. But you're right. It works out well for those guys in terms of opportunity. You know what I mean? If, if any of those starting guys uh, go down then, you know, those guys are obviously going, going to have to step in and play. So the opportunity is there for them. Um, before we move away from the draft, because we were going to going to touch on a couple of the um, official free agent signing announcements recently, I just want to throw out a couple of UDFA names and see if see if coach has any thoughts about that or not. But um, there's there's a bunch of guys. Obviously, I'm not going to go through 20 plus guys, but just three guys. Um, kind of two at one particular position that caught my eye, Coach, just because they were at that edge rush position. Mm-hmm. It was uh, John Daka, the guy from JMU, from James Madison. A um, little bit of an undersized edge guy, but from what I've seen, which is only one game against Rhode Island, he's mm-hmm. pure speed. He's pure speed rush guy off the edge. Um, and then this guy, Chauncey Rivers, you might you might be familiar with him, uh, Coach, because he, he he started out in Georgia, ended up going to uh, East Mississippi. Uh, with Tyree Phillips. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. Were they there at the same time? Yeah, they were. They were there at the same, were at the same time. He, he uh, transferred to Mississippi State uh, last year. So he, look, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Chauncey was either a four-star or a five-star coming out of high school. So he's got that pedigree. Things. Yeah, he's got that pedigree. But, you know, obviously he's had some off-the-field off stuff that he's had to try to clean up. So the pedigree is there. So it would be interesting to see, you know, what he can do. And then lastly, just because of the bloodlines, uh, Chris knows where I'm going. Nigel Warrior, Dale <laughs> Carter's boy. <laughs> I think if you if you if you were older football fan like me, you know Dale Carter from back in the day, uh, wide receiver who did his thing at Tennessee and then in the league. Uh, that that's his son, Nigel Warrior, safety, another safety. So again, he's going into uh, a crowded competition, but right. um, you know it's it's going to be interesting. So uh, any of those three names. You want to comment on coach or anybody else? Yeah. They can pick any I, other name. I, I think I think Chauncey has a, a good chance of making it, and I, I think his chances were better before we re-signed Pernell. Mm-hmm. When we re-signed Pernell, I don't know how much chance Chauncey had to make it, but I liked his chance because we didn't draft anybody at that position, and we were we were low at that position. So, um, but his skill set is there. Because like you said, he was a he was a four or five, so I don't remember exactly which one he was, but he was highly recruited when he went to Georgia. Had issues there with East Mississippi and was actually one of the stars of Last Chance U. He's one of the, the, the people they followed around. And um got to Mississippi State and kinda didn't live up to the four or five star hype, but had a solid career at Mississippi State. Um the past what two to three years, they had a lot of defensive guys going to the draft or Jeffrey Simmons and a bunch of to name a bunch of other guys and he was like 
the back end of those guys. He was he was there. He was a backup with uh, Sweat. I think he might have been Sweat's backup um, mm. last year. And so he got in the rotation, played good. But if he can recapture what made him, what 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 people put that four or five star potential on him, I see him making a roster. Now, as far as Daka, I only seen film on him like two days ago when another uh, friend of mine did um, take from the other defensive end they got. So the Cowboys picked up the other defensive end from yeah. JMU. And so when, while I was watching film on him, I was trying to watch Docker because I couldn't find anything. I didn't even find that Rhode Island game. Mm-hmm. But um, so I don't I don't know much about his game other than he looked chiseled. He looked extremely chiseled. And um, he looked fast. And the, the, the guy I'm excited about is Rick Steiner. Mm. Uh, that's who I'm really excited about. <laughs> And somebody questioned me, like, was saying uh, he's going to get jacked up because of how high he runs. But my thing is, we're not going to be asking him to run the ball if he makes it. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have him run around and create habit. That's it. So yeah. I don't I don't see him running the ball at all other than maybe like a fullback dive. But for the most part, if you watch his little highlight tape and him him blocking, it was it was a sight. It was like it was like a you had a a, a short, fast old lineman on the edge, just giving people the business. Keep in mind he only played in Kennesaw, so you can kind of talk about the level of competition, but but still, football is football, and blocking kind of translates, you know, depending on what level it is, because blocking is about effort. Mm-hmm. That's and the one that's thing. A, that he's a guy. Oh my bad, Mike. Um, Go ahead, no, Chris. He's, he's a guy that he said he came in. As a as a defensive player too, really? So he, yeah, he brings that mindset onto the offensive side of the ball because, like you said, when you see him blocking, he's not there to just get in somebody's way. He's there to take their lunch money and put them in the ground. Yeah, he he go he gets after it, man. He gets yeah, he 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 said he was a linebacker, I think, when he first got to Kennesaw, and and actually you know practiced and played as a linebacker. I think it's at least his freshman year. And then maybe somewhere in sophomore or junior year, he said they came to him and they needed somebody to play um, that that B. I can't remember if he was a back or B back. I know they were in triple option, uh, but basically the fullback position in their triple option because they didn't really have a guy on the team. And he was like, all right, I'll do it. And uh, obviously he took to it uh, very, very well. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you can get an undrafted guy like that, particularly in the Raven scheme, the way that they run the ball and the things that they do, who just wants to go out there and just mash people and just create habit. Um, I, I think, you know, there could be an opportunity uh, on, on the roster for a guy like that, or at least at least on the practice squad, if not if not, the you know, the active the game day roster. So he'll be interesting. Kerry. um let me go to you on the on the UDFAs. Any of those names jump out? I know we talked about some of it earlier, uh, but you know, let's let's just do another round on 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 the UDFAs before we jump to the free agent signings. Yeah, the um, the tight ends are interesting to me. Um, you know, with the situation with uh, Hurst, you know, being traded and they didn't draft a tight end, um, but they gave a pretty good. Um, you know, signing bonus to the to that tight end from uh, Georgia, Eli Wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking at him. You know, he had a great, great um, uh, pro day from a measurable standpoint. Obviously, you know, yeah, he you was, know, he was at the 30, crib, man. He was at the crib, 
Yeah, he was running that 39 yarder. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna give him the full credit, but he still put up some pretty, um, pretty good numbers. Um, seems to be a, you know, pretty uh, solid all around player. Has some physicality to him. You know, kind of a guy that I feel like could maybe fit that, um, that uh, Hayden Hurst role, that kind of in between role of um, on the line and um, you know split out and uh, uh, Breland. I still want to kind of dig deeper into. I think he he definitely made some plays. He showed up on film, but I saw a lot of scheme stuff with that um, um, Oregon uh, play action game. So uh, those guys I'm gonna be looking at closely. It's gonna be interesting to see um, just how much um, confidence the Ravens have um, in those guys and. You know, as as the as we get into the summer and, you know, the Ravens are trying to figure this this roster out. You know, do they go grab a vet? Do they go look at a guy like Delaney Walker or, or you know, somebody in that realm? Or do they trust these um, these undrafted uh, tight ends? Yeah, I, I, I like Breland. I like Breland. Uh, before he got hurt, Breland was a, a, a heap ish. Heap ish, not tall heap. He was a heap ish guy <laughs> that could work the seams and you know could go up and get balls. But he did get hurt, so I don't know how healthy he is he is either. And and I think um if, if I'm remembering correctly, I think DeCosta said he's a guy that they had their eye on too before he got hurt uh, during the season. That the mm-hmm. scouts really liked him before that. Right. If you catch six touchdowns in six games, um, <laughs> Kerry and I talked about the scheme and said, hey, they were doing some things that. Uh, really were confusing some defenses, so he was getting some wide open looks, but still six TDs is six TDs. Uh, so you got you got to respect it, um, Chris. Before I I kick it over to you, I'll throw one more name out there uh, just because this is interesting um, to me. Uh, Tyler Huntley, quarterback from Utah. Uh, so the Ravens now have four quarterbacks on the roster. Um, pretty pretty good chance we know they're not going to carry four quarterbacks into the season, but. He's an interesting guy because he has a skill set that kind of fits the way they play. And I just read today that he played Lamar in high school and beat him yeah. uh, in the playoffs. Um, and, and and Lamar actually talked about that when uh, when they signed Huntley saying, hey, man, you owe me. So uh, <laughs> and apparently Huntley also um, played with um, not in high school, but I think just kind of in that Florida area kind of grew up with playing with uh, Hollywood. And some of the same youth leagues. So all three of those guys kind of know each other and have trained together and played in leagues together. So just that angle is just kind of interesting to me. But let me let me let me get your thoughts on any UDFAs, Chris. Uh, the the guy I keep going to is uh, Nigel Warrior. He's a guy that that I really like coming through. But like Coach Evan mentioned earlier, that safety room is is a little bit crowded right now. So it would ha- probably have to be a practice squad kind of guy or if someone gets injured and he could sneak his way onto the to the roster but he he's a guy that I really do like a lot he's he's sort of a, a do it all kind of safety where you you want him closer to to the line of scrimmage but he has the versatility to play man to man and he can also play the deep part of the field as well but uh he's a guy that just He's a former four-star recruit, so, you know, anytime it's a UDFA and you get a guy that was a, a former, you know, really, really sought-after high school player, that's something that they look for a lot, too. And, obviously, the physical skill set is there when a guy is, you know, SEC safety and coming out with that much fanfare to be mm-hmm. a four-star recruit. So, and when you it, – it's difficult to watch him – because I, I, I got to watch two games of him at Tennessee. 
And that that defense, that program is just I hate to say it, but it's just putrid right now. So <laughs> for him to to stand out as much as he did, because he was always around the ball or around the ball carrier. And for you to stick out like that when you're on such a bad team, that speaks volumes to me because it's like, all right, you're doing your job, but then you're also compensating for mistakes that other guys are making as well. So you're making reads before, you know, the guy that's in front of you can. So he's a guy that I'm I'm really rooting for. And like you say, he's Dale Carter's kid, so it's hard not to root for him too. I think there's gonna be a tough battle between him and and uh Stone to to get in that that uh, that safety room. Yeah. yeah I, it's, I, it's I actually like Warrior better than I like Stone, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another one of those situations, man. You better stay on the field. Yep. <laughs> you better you better stay out in practice because if you miss any time, you know, that that guy, you know, can get a leg up on the competition. And you said it, coach. I mean, when you look at Warrior, when you look at, you know, athletic ability, when you look at level of competition there in the SEC, uh, you know, when you look at the pedigree, you know, th- those are kinds of things that catch my eye. Uh, like Chris said, when you're looking at UDFAs, when you look at guys with all of that. And, you know, we're at a major program, but for whatever reason, you know, just kind of all didn't add up. You start to think, well, if we get them in our program, you know, maybe maybe and, and develop them and coach them, maybe we can maybe we can see that that potential. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, definitely is a guy. He's definitely another guy to, to keep an eye on. And that is going to be uh, uh, an interesting competition just between those guys. But then the safety group for that, that those back in safety spots in general. Um but now let's let's transition to some of these free agent signings that were officially announced. We learned our we learned a hard lesson with with Michael Brockers. Uh, right. <laughs> and Mike, you had to bring that up, Mike. It got me. <laughs> to, look, I did a video on Brockers when it first happened. Oh. Right at eight thousand views, I didn't delete it. <laughs> well, then, coach, you 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 feel my pain then because you end up watching all of this film on these guys. And, and then, you know, it falls, a deal falls through. And, you know, it's never, I never look at it as a bad thing. Cause I'm like, anytime I'm watching film, I'm learning something. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing, but you know, you you're disappointed because, you know, I, I thought that he, he could be a good addition for them, but then they get Derek Wolf. So, you know, I didn't feel bad about it, but anyway, these guys are official. Um, I start with a guy who um, all Ravens fans know, uh, Pernell McPhee. <laughs> was here back in the day, an original draft pick of the Ravens. Obviously, they brought him back last year. Um, Played well before he suffered an injury um, in the early part of the season. And they, uh, we just talked about a few minutes ago, they didn't draft an edge rusher, uh, edge rusher um, in the draft, even though they signed a couple of UDFA guys. But they bring Purnell back. So, Coach, um, just your thoughts on bringing Purnell back and, and how you see his fit uh, in defense this year. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they brought him back to to put some a little bit more experience in that room. Because we were we were counting on what Bowser, Ferguson, and Judon, and like you said, we didn't draft anybody at that position. You brought in Chauncey River, so I think that put a little bit more experience in that room and um, gave you just just solidified it. That's all, really. Just solidified it. Brought a veteran in that knows the system, a guy that can come in and and, and teach. Ferguson, hopefully he can find something other than the, the bull rush. Because if, if, if that guy finds something other than the bull rush, he's going to be a special individual, in in my opinion. But he, he has mm-hmm. to do something other than that. He's a one-trick pony at, the, at right now. 
because they yeah, feed you and, and kind of um, you know just just bring a veteran presence in now. Yeah, I was hoping last year when they signed him because I had watched him when he was with um, Washington the year before. And I thought Washington used him the exact way you have to use him at this point in his career. He didn't play any more than like 25 to 30 snaps a game when he was in Washington. And they were high leverage snaps, you know, third downs, um, red zone situations, stuff like that, where you want him on the field. And every time he was out there. He made plays. The thing about Purnell to me, whenever I studied him, is if he's not making the play himself, he's setting it up for somebody else to make a play. Right. He, right. He's just always involved one way or the other. Um, so I think if you can keep him on that 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 kind of range in terms of a snap count, I think last year it just was too much, you know, for where he's at in his career and the injuries that he's had to deal with uh, later in, in his career. I don't think he can play a full snap load, you know, over the course of a whole season. Um, so, so hopefully, um, with you know Judon back under the franchise tag, unless they get a long-term deal done, um, with some of the young guys coming in as UDFA's, maybe one of those guys can make the roster. Um, maybe they'll pick up somebody. We know still a lot, a lot of things can happen before the season starts. But I would love to see Purnell just not have to play that full snap load because then I think you're gonna get the best out of him. Right. Um, right. Keep kind of in those reduced snaps. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, yeah that, they kind of have the perfect storm right now to do what they wanted to do last year with him, which is manage that snap count. But now they have the actual bodies where they can do that. Because last year, they just had to throw him into the fire and just scrap that whole plan because they just they didn't have anybody else they could trust at the time. And he ended up getting hurt. But now, when you have all of these young guys and then the veterans that they brought in too, now they could keep him on that snap count and, and just have him hopefully, you know, be fresh and actually last the whole season this year. No doubt. No doubt. Kerry, what you think about McPhee being back? Yeah, man, I was happy to see McPhee back in the uh, back in the fold, man. You know, this is a um, pro McPhee podcast. We've been talking about him <laughs> since the first episode. But uh, yeah, it was it was good to have him back, man. Uh, you know, a uh, trustworthy guy as far as the edge setter, that you know, inside outside pass rush capability. And my my first thought when I saw that he resigned went straight to Jalen Ferguson. And to me, he's a guy that is going to be important um, when we're talking about keeping uh, McPhee's uh, snaps in check. You know, Ferguson is going to have to you know grow as a run defender. And, you know, kind of take that burden off of um, um, McPhee so he doesn't have to be leveraged into these high, high snap, um, you know, games. But, you know, I, I, I like where they are, you know, as the edge, um, as far as the edge goes, you know, they have a, a few uh, guys that they can trust to sit the edge now. A couple guys they can they can trust as far as dropping in the coverage. So, you know, I, I think. The kind of the wild card in that is Ferguson. Um, you know, he's gonna have to grow as a run defender, and like Coach said, you know, add a little bit more, um, you know, diversity to his uh, his pass rush. But you know, I, I'm excited to see um, what he's able to do. But you know, the the main thing is he needs to grow so that you know, as the season goes on. McPhee is not playing these crazy snaps and then we get in the full quarters and, you know, you can have McPhee rushing from the interior on third down, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that that was my main thing. That's what I'm looking at with, with this um, move. 
Yeah, you you said it. We are a pro McPhee podcast. Uh, if anybody one knows why we're so more, more so pro McPhee, and you just want an example, just go search my Twitter. I tweeted out a clip not that long ago of him in week two versus Arizona. So he's lined up against Charles Clay, right, tight end out in the C gap. He throws Charles Clay inside two gaps, <laughs> throws him into the A gap and into the running back. Literally threw him. Didn't drive him. It wasn't like he just, you know, got into him and drove him. He picked him up and threw him into the A gap. <laughs> and, and, and it was the running back basically to cut into, you know, somebody else and, and who they were able to tackle him. So uh, he, he's a full grown man. And that, that's why you know, we, we, we are. That's why we feel the way we feel about McPhee. But um, so I'm happy to have him back, too, obviously. And so this next one, third down, third down package with McPhee and, and Calais Campbell in the interior pass rush. Next. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. <laughs> Nasty. That's good. Pick your poison. Right. Pick who you want to double. You know, if you want to double one of those guys, pick who you want. And then and then take your chances with the other guy one on one. Right. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> now, this this next signing, um, I've, I've had Chris and Kerry have had to help me a little bit because uh, it's DJ Fluger. Mm-hmm. Uh, guard played last year with Seattle. Uh, been in the league. Um, was first round pick. You know, from from a physical standpoint, he, he's he's what I call a get off the bus guy. You mm-hmm. want him getting off the bus first. When you see 6'5", well, he was listed at 339 when he came out. I don't know what he's playing at now. 36-inch arms, 10.5-inch hands. You see this man getting off the bus, and, uh, you know, you, you start thinking it's going to be a long day. Um, but as I was watching him, I'm, I got to do the same thing I had to do when Suggs left. I, you got to shake Marshall Yonder out of your head right. when you watch him play. <laughs> because when you were watching Yonder, you were watching one of the best to ever do it at that position. And you can't compare them because they're different players. They play different games. And that was that was something I kind of was was struggling with at first. I was like, eh, I don't know, man. I mean, I get I get the veteran deal. You definitely want that veteran presence. We saw what happened last year with the inside linebackers when they didn't have a veteran group, a veteran presence in that group. That did not that did not go well the first couple of weeks of the season. Right. <laughs> they ended up having to scramble and sign some guys, and they were fortunate, you know, that Bynes and Fort were available and came in and played as well as they did. So I think. Chris is reminding me that, look, you know, they they learn from that. You know, they don't want to set themselves up that way with any position group. And then Kerry reminded me, like, look, you got to you got to look at Fluker through the right lens. He's a phone booth type of guy You know, mm-hmm. from the way that they play, the way that they want to run the ball. You know, downhill gap scheme. He fits. Man block. Yeah, he fits. But Coach, let, let me stop right there and just, just turn it to you. What do you think about DJ Fluker? Um, a lot of negative. Fluker gets a lot of negative uh talk about him because of the penalties. But you think about what he what he was blocking for. Russell Wilson. The guy that for the most part all he does not not all he does. I don't want to talk down on Russell. He improvs a lot. So as an old lineman, you have one play in your mind and then something else totally happens. Like your hands, your feet are not necessarily going to be where you where they're in the best position to block however depending on what Russell's doing back there. And Russell was doing what he got to do to make plays, keep plays alive, stuff like that, because they didn't invest in the O-line in Seattle. So I think a lot of his penalties came from him just being out of position and, and you know, Russell doing the improvisation thing. But as far as what we do, he going to down block. He going to down block. He going to down block some more. 
But he may go to a linebacker. <laughs> he may go to a linebacker every now and then. Because if you just think about last year, Bozeman did most of the pulling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ran power to the right a lot. Bozeman did most of the pulling. Yonder was down blocking. Now, will Fluka be as good as Yonder? Probably not. And like I was telling somebody yesterday, don't expect Fluka to be Yonder because he's not. Mm-hmm. He's going to be DJ Fluka. He's going to be a, a, a nasty dude in the trenches that if we limit what he has to do, like we, he shouldn't be around and pulling a lot. And we mm-hmm. shouldn't run a lot of stretch to his side, but some to keep people honest. But he, yep. the power, our power game fits perfect. Fits perfect. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that power game, and even the zone stuff. Because obviously Seattle ran a lot of zone stuff. When he had a head up technique on him, he was cool. He right. could reach that guy no problem. But when he had a three technique or even like a four eye, and you're trying to ask him to go out there and get that guy, I mean that's a tough block for anybody. Yeah. But you know that that's that's not his calling card. His calling card is coming downhill. He he really is old school coach. When I watch, he wants to put his his face in your chest. Yeah. He ain't doing none of this. Get your head out of the block. He he not doing none of that. <laughs> he's putting his head down and he's driving it right through your chest. Yeah. Um, so that that that's his style and that that's how he plays. Um, but uh, let me let me start with you this time, uh, Carrie. How'd you how you feel about the uh, the DJ Fluker side? Yeah, I thought it was a um, good signing. Um, with Fluker, it was it, I've always kind of wondered what would happen with him if he had just started his career guard just to begin with. Right. You good know, point. He, he was brought in as a tackle, you know, kind of heavy footed guy. And I, I, he had a good rookie year. I think you know, it was with um, um, our old line coach, you know, Joe D. But um mm-hmm. After that, he kind of had his struggles, and I think that kind of, you know, made people look at him in a negative light. But I, but I always wonder, like, what would it be if he was just, you know, that right guard that, like we said, that phone booth guard, um, you know, massive guy just moving people. Like, what would the um, kind of opinions would be of him now? Um, but yeah, I mean, just he's a guy that. Um, you can you can line up and run power with him, and you just trust him. You know we got a lot of youth at at that interior O line position, and you know if those guys aren't ready um, day one, hey fine. You know you can roll Fluker out there, and you know he's gonna move people in the run game if he doesn't do anything else. And you know you gotta understand his limitations. Don't ask him to do a lot of uh, you know moving and pulling and, and some of those things. Uh, try to make sure he doesn't get isolated, uh, you know, on third down against somebody, you know, trying to put a quick interior rusher on him, you know, just mm-hmm. be on the lookout for those kind of things. But um, for what this team does, uh, Mike, me and you had this discussion, I think yesterday, you know, a lot of people aren't going to kind of like this, but uh, the Ravens aren't going to be looking to throw the ball any more than what they did last year, uh, you know, those running attempts equate to being ahead in the fourth quarter, and that's what they want to be. So, you know, they don't want to go over those 400, you know, attempts for Lamar this year. They want to go, you know, be running the ball in the fourth quarter just like they were doing last year and try to write these wins up. And, and mm-hmm. it's that road just fine. Yeah, you're right. We, we did talk about that the other day, and that even goes back to the draft when we talked about it where – as we're going through the early part of the draft, everybody wants to see them take a wide receiver early. 
And, you know, you're looking around and you're seeing the Raiders take a bunch of receivers. You're seeing the Broncos take a bunch. Everybody's trying to keep up and score points with the Chiefs. And what I think we just all had to accept and realize is the Ravens are going to be who they are. They're not out there chasing, trying to be some other version of another team. They're going to be the best Ravens that they can be. They're not going to try to be a knockoff version of the Chiefs. (laughs) It's not it's not what they do. So. You know, when they start playing games, we'll see who was right. We'll see if the right approach was to go load up on offense and try to out and score with the Chiefs or to try to load up on defense and your calling card in the running game and try to win that way. We'll see. You know, that's the great thing about football. You'll see it when it's on the field. Exactly. You won't have to worry. You won't have to worry about well, who was right and who was wrong. You'll know. <laughs> so show you know, you. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see when they start when they start playing games. Uh, which, which approach was was the better uh, approach? But now, Chris, before we we move on, let me get your thoughts on DJ Fluke. Um, I liked it, man, and it, like we were speaking about earlier, it it brings in a veteran presence that they don't have on the inside right now because right now they just have a bunch of unproven guys in the middle, and you know they have Ben Powers who's active one game last year, mm-hmm. who got playing time last year. So although what he showed was good, we still don't have a large enough sample size to be like, yeah, we can trust him there. Then you got Skura, who's coming back from a devastating injury, what we hope is coming back from a devastating injury. And then we have two rookies coming coming in. And that's, you know, as much as we would like to just fit guys in like it's Madden, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way sometimes. And with this whole situation that we have going on where there might not even be any kind of off-season workouts and these guys, these coaches can't even get their hands on the rookies by who knows when. I think it's a safe bet to have a, a you know, an established veteran who's been in the league for a while who knows what's required of him. He knows the speed of the game. I think that was really smart of them to to get a guy that they could they could have to lean on so they don't have to throw so much on these rookies right out of the gate. I agree 100% yeah. with that. 100%. Yeah. yeah, that's a smart move. And I think um, we, we keep going. I keep going back to it, uh, how things went with Peanut and Kenny Young in the early part of the season last year. <laughs> and I think, you know, look, they wanted to give those guys every opportunity, you know, to get out there on the field and play and make plays. And it just didn't work. You know, they just weren't ready. You know, Kenny Young wasn't ready. Peanut, I think, you know, he was at his best as a will playing next to CJ, and I think it was probably just a little too much for him to take over all the responsibilities of the mic and just didn't work. And I so, think Peanut you know, knew that, too. <laughs> clearly, because he doesn't go back to play with CJ again mm-hmm. So uh, in New York. So I think Will, I think Peanut knows, you know, it was probably the best season he's had as a pro came playing opposite of CJ. And, and you know, if you can recreate that, we all know the New York Jets are basically just the Ravens Northeast Um <laughs> They're going to try to recreate that same thing. And, you know, we'll see how it goes for them. Um, so I just wanted to touch on those two free agent signings. Uh, we want to get into the schedule, but we got this one quick topic that, you know, I, I hesitate to even want to talk about. But it's news. It's a player on the team. So we got to talk about it. Uh, Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Right? So that story's been out there for a little bit now. Hey, look, whatever happens between a married man and his wife is their business. Um, but obviously the story blew up because his wife, you know, reportedly pulled a gun on him and police were called. So, you know, that that turns it into a much bigger deal. But um, at first, let me just say some of the stuff that I saw on Twitter from some people talking about they need to cut him 
or try to find an out in his contract. And I'm thinking to myself, if that's going to be the precedent you set, right, for a guy, you know, fooling around his wife, you're going to find you're going to try to find a way to cut him. You, you're going to cut half the league, a third of the league. <laughs> and <laughs> you know and probably, probably the executives, too. Yeah. That, when I talk about the league, I'm talking about everybody. I'm not talking about the players. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about coaches. I'm talking about people in the executive. I mean, look, I mean, stuff happens. Right. And that's that's personal stuff between people's families. Um, so that was just ridiculous to me. But. Uh, Coach, let me just start with you. Look, we ain't got to talk about the personal part of it, but just in terms of how you think this could impact things between Earl and the team, if at all, or is it just a non-story to you? To me, he didn't put his hands on her. He didn't get arrested. He, you know, it was cheating is not illegal. It's it's immoral probably, but it's not illegal. So I think he's good because he didn't he didn't do anything to her that would warrant him getting arrested or anything. So I think he's good. So it's pretty much a non-story to me. That's how I feel. Chris, what do you think about Yeah, I mean, like you guys said, it's it's a non-story. I mean, I'm sure that they probably would have liked to have had the heads up from him. That's probably the one misstep that he had where he didn't let the team know. But just so they could get in front of it before, you know, TMZ does. And, you right. know, it, it's, it's never a good look when they find news out through TMZ. I'm sure they would rather know through from the player himself. But mm-hmm. I mean, and when you when you're in his shoes, you're like, I got a gun pulled on me. Like, why, why, why do I need to tell the team? And you know, this this is my business. This is what's going on in my home. Right. So you know, I, I can see both both sides of it. But um, as far as like the football side of it, where like you said, Mike, where people are saying he needs to be cut and stuff like that, that's just nonsense. Like this, this is a a, a private matter, and it, I don't think it has anything to do with him and his his future as a football player right i'm with you on that totally totally agree carrie we gonna make this three for three this is a nice story <laughs> now i'm gonna have some fun with this one <laughs> 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 no but sir, like first and foremost i just I, i'm just glad that everybody is safe like relatively speaking like you hear the details of this and this could have went like all the way left like right you know mm-hmm. people could have like legitimately lost their you know, their lives. So, you know, I'm genuinely relieved that, you know, every everybody that was involved in this is, you know, was able to like live to see another day. But with that being said, in those TMZ story and, uh, you know, the court transcripts and we hear all the details about, you know, what happened. I ain't hear nothing about no mask. Nothing about no washing no hands. (laughs) (laughs) Social distancing. I'm like, come on, man. Like, well, I mean, if if what allegedly happened in the Airbnb was going down, I mean, ain't no way you can do that from six feet apart. So, I mean, there's that. Ain't no way. Um, yeah, it's it's just that one of those things, man. It's like from from her standpoint, I can kind of understand. I mean, can you imagine how mad she had to be? Like, mm-hmm. you got all the regular risks that come with that kind of behavior, but then you're going to put that Rona on top of that? <laughs> but did it, did it happen before the before we went, like, the country lockdown, though? That's the question. Yeah, this was uh, April. Yeah, yeah April. like early April, yeah. So it might it might have been pre-lockdown. It might have been pre-lockdown. But I tell you what, Chris, you 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 told me this. Nina, his, his wife, or Nia, I might be getting her name wrong, I'm sorry, his wife, uh, greatest detective in the world. Because, 
Right. When she when she got that Snapchat and got that location and then got on the street, but then was like, oh, but in the video I saw a purple light in the window and then just start looking for purple lights. Man, she was like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> she tracked it down, baby. Uh, that is yeah. that is something we all know. If you if you married or been in a relationship, women are the greatest detectives in the world. You not you're not gonna get nothing past them. <laughs> But Mike, then she then she got him. See, this is what makes me think this might be a different kind of situation altogether because um, she gave him a, a chain for his birthday. You know, that came out, you know, maybe like the day after. And it got me to thinking, like, I don't know if y'all remember that that um, old um, couple on Living Color that kept trying to kill each other. But then, <laughs> you know, this that kind of situation, man, this might just be how they kick it. Right. Hey, but some people. It's just the fact that it was a gun and a knife involved. That, yeah, that's crazy. Because from what yeah, I don't like know, here. if you guys heard anything different, she supposedly had a gun. The the girlfriends that she got to come with her supposedly had a knife or something. Yeah, that's what I read too. <laughs> now she had to, she had the strap. She definitely had the strap. And like you said, Carrie. It's, it's really just a blessing that it didn't turn out, you know, on something more serious because she said that she was right. just trying to scare him. It wasn't loaded, but she had one in the chamber and didn't. Right. Know. Yep. yep. I didn't hear so, that. So that could have been, you know, a whole different, whole different scenario. So, you know, as much as, you know, sometimes you 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 have, you know, a little bit of fun with this just because you're trying to find the lighter side, you know, of a serious story. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like you said, most important thing is. Nobody was was harmed or hurt. And, you know, when it comes to, to marital stuff, I certainly ain't in no position to give nobody no advice. I mean, um, I've been married almost 20 years, but still, you know, you, stuff happens, man. It's ups and downs and, and twists and turns. And, you know, this is just how it is. You know what I mean? So, like he said, just pray for them. <laughs> pray for them and, and, and respect their privacy, you know, as they as they try to work through this. So, um on to, you know, more positive news and more positive story. And I, I think this is the last thing we had on the rundown was the schedule. Schedule came out last Thursday. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff out there about the Raven schedule. I, I don't necessarily know if I buy into all of this. Oh, they got the easiest schedule in terms of, you know, win loss record from last year. Because I'm always like, that's last year. Right. I mean, that that ain't this year. So <laughs> uh, we don't we don't know if these teams are going to be better, worse or the same. Uh, but you can't just assume they're going to be the same because uh, it's, a, it's a it's a new year. Uh, I'll save my you know, this is this is finally going to be Cleveland's year spill. Uh, I want I save that for another podcast, <laughs> but I'm serious. But you carry a Chris. No, coach, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous about Cleveland just because I think. They finally got the right people in the leadership positions where they might actually get this right. So I'm a little worried about them. But anyway, uh, let me start with you, Coach. Anything about schedule stand out to you? Um, so what I've heard is we have the easy schedule. And like you just said, that means nothing. All these guys get paid. A lot of teams flip rosters and and positions. And it really takes one or two guys to kind of turn a, a OK team into a good team. And so I'm with you. Cleveland scares me, especially mm-hmm. at the receiver position probably one of the best running backs in 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 the game and to me their issue was baker from the neck up yep. you get you get miles garrett back uh they drafted greedy uh not, they drafted greedy last year they got um delphi this year and i think they got ward over there too right denzel ward mm-hmm. yep so that's a 
scary team over them in, in, in Cleveland. No doubt, man. Look, the thing, the thing, all of those things worry me, coach. But the other thing that worries me is bringing that Gary Kubiak scheme. Stefanski yeah. learned under Kubiak out in Minnesota. We've seen firsthand here in Baltimore what that Kubiak scheme can do. And that was with damn Justin Forsett. They got Nick Chubb. <laughs> and, and Kareem Hunt. And, and Kareem I forgot Hunt. about Kareem Hunt. I forgot about and that. And Kareem Hunt. And then they drafted Jedrick Wills at tackle. So I'm like, look, man, I understand it's easily to say the Browns are going Brown, you know, but I don't know. I'll this follow this draft. This one, this one might be different this year. You know what? Especially because, I mean, some of this might be related to the quarantine, but you don't hear no talking. Right. There ain't no talking coming out of there this year. The only like, thing oh. I've heard was OBJ say he's going to be faster and stronger whenever they get to play football again. That's the only talk I've heard out of Cleveland's camp. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried <laughs> big time about that yeah. scheme and those players in that scheme. But yeah. anyway, let me go to you, Gary. Uh, what, what, what do you think about the schedule? Yeah, man, it, it might be people might think this is a Cleveland pod, but I, um, I'm right here with you guys, <laughs> man. I, I, like Mike, we talked about this, you know, with them. Just there seems to be a synergy now between the front office and the coaching staff, and you know, I looked at two of the moves they made in free agency with Hooper. Uh, they overpaid, but he's a good player. Um, and uh, Jack Conklin, you know, they probably overpaid, but he's a good player. And the the scheme fits, you know, with that, you know, that that could be a stretch zone kind of system that we expect them to kind of implement. And the talent has always been there. But I, I think that synergy with the with the coaching staff and the front office, you know, I think I, I'm not necessarily scared of them, but I think they're going to be much improved and I think they could play some, you know, maybe play some meaningful games late in the season. Um, but as far as the schedule as a whole, um, I definitely think it's tougher than what these uh, percentages are saying. Uh, I'm looking at a stretch from week six through week 13. Uh, they're at Philly home against Pittsburgh. Uh, Got to buy. Then they go to Indy uh, to New England home versus Tennessee and at Pittsburgh. And then uh, home versus Dallas. That's a pretty competitive seven game stretch there. You know, there there's no like uh, games that you can just mark as um, as, you know, guaranteed W's in that stretch. Um, you know, I, I feel like the first four or five games, uh, they have a chance to probably sweep those, you know, maybe go four and one or something. But I think that seven game stretch there from week six through week 13 is kind of going to um, uh, tell you, uh, you know, just what kind of team we're, uh, we're dealing with. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, um, those primetime games, man, going to be rough on my sleep and on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We talked about it earlier, man, when you, you get up there in years a little bit, staying up late like that, it ain't easy getting up that next morning, but uh, Kerry's right uh, about one thing for sure. Don't get it twisted. This is a Ravens podcast, and the Ravens is still the best team in this division. So don't get that twisted. Right. I'm just saying, don't sleep. Uh, Chris, <laughs> let me get your thoughts on this game. <laughs> uh, so my my thoughts basically come from the, this whole COVID situation that we have going on. 
Now, they're saying that they could possibly eliminate weeks three and four since no team, uh, since no divisional games are going to be going on through those weeks. So let's just say if they do, we won't be able to see the Ravens face off in a big game against the Chiefs. Now, to me, that game has, you know, huge implications for AFC supremacy when it comes to the playoff picture. So there's a possibility that we might not be able to see that. And then we don't even know if we'll be able to see the beginning of the season, period. Like, we don't know if they'll be starting in October. We don't know if they'll be starting in November. So I'm just, I'm trying to cross my fingers and be as positive as I can. But that's just like a, every time I look at it, it's just like a black cloud just hanging over my head when I look at the schedule. Like, I, I just hope it goes on. You ain't see the story about the drones spraying the disinfected in the stadium? <laughs> they, they were doing that? <laughs> they go, they, some, it's some company, man, that, that already has a prototype out there and say that they can, you know, it's like two drones. So it was like one drone with this hose. This is another drone where the hose is connected to this tube and they got the disinfectant and just fly all over the stadium and spray everything. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That'll kill everything until 50,000 people walk in the stadium. (laughs) And then I'm like, what what are you going to do then? You can't spray all that stuff on top of people. Um, But no, that, that, that part is, is really, you know, the elephant in the room. I mean, everybody knows that it's there. Nobody really knows how it's going to affect, you know, when things start and what they do, like you said, with those, those games at the beginning of the season. Um, So everybody's kind of just waiting to see, you know, how, how that's going to go. But it's, it's, it's the biggest issue. Right. You can you can talk about the teams on the schedule. You can talk about win, loss and all of that. But, you know, this whole Corona thing is still, you know, just like it is in life. It's just the biggest issue out there right now. still. So I like you. I'm trying to be positive because I want to see them play. You know, I want to see high school play. I want to see college play. I want to see pro play. I want to see everybody play. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also got to be smart. You know, you can't you can't risk people's health or, or lives or anything. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes for me. Uh, just just specifically about the schedule. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to kiss any more brown ass. I'm done with that. But uh, <laughs> that stretch that uh, Carrie mentioned, I, I kind of was looking at that stretch, too. And even the New England game, I mean, people say, OK, they ain't got Brady, so they're not the same Patriots. And, and that's true. You know, Jared, Jared Stidham definitely, if he turns out to be their starter, definitely is not Tom Brady. Um, but you still got Bill Belichick. You still got a good defense. Um, and so, you know, and you're still playing at their place. So, you know, you can't just chalk that up as a win just because Brady ain't around anymore. So, you know, that is going to be a tough stretch for sure. So I'm not buying into any of this stuff about easiest schedule. You, you'll, you'll see what it is when you get out there on the field. Um, the, the Titans game was supposed to be easy. Right. <laughs> told y'all. Remember telling both you guys. Remember I did all those cut ups on their on their run game. And I was I like, remember. This ain't going to be pretty right here. (laughs) This is not going to be pretty. And it wasn't just because Derrick Henry is a full grown man. They were just in such a rhythm. When you watch their O-line, their tight end, Henry, when you get in that zone scheme and you just get in that rhythm where everybody's seeing things the same way, blocking things, you know, the, the same way, it's almost unstoppable. That wise on scheme is almost unstoppable when everybody is seeing things the way that, that that they were seeing things. And, you know, look, it don't hurt. It, do, it doesn't help when you turn the ball over five times. I count those fourth down stops as turnovers, too. So that that's never going to hurt you. That's never going to help you. And then, you know, when you're bad 
in critical situations when you're bad on fourth down, when you're bad in red zone. They gave up three TDs in four red zone trips. All of, none of that stuff is going to help you. So, yeah, Tennessee was playing well and they, they really were in a groove in terms of their run game. But, you know, I think in that article that they had out about Hollywood and Lamar, you know, Hollywood said it like, yeah, they won and we give them credit. But we beat ourselves more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that that to me, that's going to be the biggest thing for them is that mental hurdle. Right. They've been out in the playoffs the last, you know, last two years in the first round. First year, you you can understand, you know, Lamar becomes a starter halfway through the season. Young guy, um, youngest rookie, youngest quarterback star playoff game ever. You kind of can understand it. Um, that second year, 14 and two rolling in everything on your side. Um, now it just becomes a mental hurdle for me because that team was good enough to go further. You know, that 2019 team was definitely good enough to go further. And so you just got to get over that mental hurdle now. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens this year. But um, I think that's the last thing that I have on the rundown. Just before we close the show out, Coach, I like to just go around everybody, get any final thoughts that you have about anything we've talked about on the show or anything about the upcoming season. So let me start with you for your final thoughts, Coach. Um, to, to bounce back to that little running back talk we had earlier in the pod, um, a friend of mine who's who's good good friends of the family with Cam Akers told me that Baltimore was talking with Cam. Oh, I I chalked it up I as baloney. So <laughs> I chalked it up as baloney because again I didn't think we were in the need for a running back. And so when we picked um, Dobbins in the second no when they when they picked Clyde Edwards Elair uh, Chiefs did um, he was so mad. And he was like, well, why is that? Why are they picking Clyde over Cam? Like, you, be, you know, keep your, get your feelings out of it because you're friends with that family. It was Elaire, potentially the best back in this draft. He could do it all. He could do it all. Swift can do it all. Yep. Now, we don't know Cam, what Cam's potential was because his O-line was, was so bad. Those mm-hmm. other guys just have to play on good teams. But again, I, I chalked it off as whatever. You just, you know, you being a homer right now. And when um, we picked Dobbins, all I, I got to tell from him, say, I told you they would leave the running back. I had, I had to eat that crow. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big game makers fan. Man, the little bird tried big. to tell me. And uh, my last game in Mississippi was against Cam. Mm. He, was, he was a quarterback in high school, and um, he touched the ball every play, and he did what we did. But the guy that I, I mentioned earlier that I asked about um, the best running back, was on my team, and he had like 250 running that game. So mm. Cam, my last game in Mississippi was the SEC leading rusher this year, and then Cam Akers uh, playing quarterback on the other team. But as far as the Ravens, I'm, I'm proud of what they did in the draft. It took a minute to soak in, but we got good variety. And I, I think, I really think Broderick um, Washington, is that his last name, from uh, Texas yep. Tech? Yeah. Yep. I really think he – made Jordan Brooks when I went back and watched film. You know, Jordan mm-hmm. Brooks was picked before before us, which I was to me was way out of left field. And and he may he might not even make the team, but he made Jordan Brooks because he ate when they moved him inside, when he played four eye or nose mm-hmm. on bad situations, he ate up blockers. Like Jordan Jordan Brooks just was able to get in a track stands and run people down. Yep. So that that's yeah. that's a sleeper pick for me right there. And then our UDFAs, it's, 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 it's value in those guys. 
It's valuing those guys, and and that's ba- we can say that based off the conversation we just had about Warrior, and you know, war- like I said, Warrior may be better than Stone. Johnson mm-hmm. Rivers may have a chance to slide in there. Rick Stein, and um, I, I think I think Hundley's going to be our uh, scout team, our practice squad guy, but mm-hmm. I don't think he only stays practice squad once. I think he'll bump to number two next year. Mm-hmm. His skill set is pretty good. I think he'll be better. Once he understands or gets the speed of the game better than um, now RG3. What's the other guy? Trace. 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 But yeah, that's, that's all I got for it. That's what I was thinking, too, when I was mentioning Huntley earlier, Coach. I was like, man, I, I don't know. Trace, man. <laughs> this might be it. This might be it for Trace and RG3. I love the veteran presence in that room. I think that's good for Lamar. Um but we saw that Steelers game. Right. RG3 ain't, ain't what he used to be. No, none of us are. But right. he, he's 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 a different guy at this point he, in his career. So a lot of this game, he did enough. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and that, and that's what you want from backup, right? Just just, yeah. just come in, execute the offense, don't turn the ball over. But I, I hear this talk. I still hear this talk about oh, you know he. He can still be a starter in this league. Teams are going to want him as a starter. I don't know if I see that anymore, coach. I don't know if I see start not not a 16 game starter, a spot starter, a guy who could come in and maybe, you know, float you for three, four games. I can definitely see that. But a full 16 game star. I don't I don't know if it's there for Robert anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, think so. No. Nah. And, and, I, and I like Robert, man. Always have. But I, I just don't know if it's there anymore. But anyway, Carrie, um, let me get your your your, your closing thoughts. Yeah, man, just, um, you know, looking at the team as a whole, um, just a good looking balanced roster. I mean, there's going to be a couple of spots where, you know, uh, edge and wide receiver where, you know, the names aren't the names that, you know, people wanted, you know, coming into the offseason. But, you know, when you look at it, um, I think they're in position to, you know, win and win a lot with the guys that they have. Um you know, specifically on the edge, uh, like I said before, they have McPhee um, back with, um, um, you know, Judon and uh, as guys that they can trust as edge setters. Um, uh, Bowser kind of brings you that uh, that backup that can drop in the coverage and do those kind of things. Uh, but, you know, the main thing with the edge is the defensive line got light years better. I mean, if you look at it man for a man, they made massive upgrades on the D line and, and, and all that kind of goes hand in hand with the defense as a whole, especially when you're, when, you know, people's concern with the edge position was um, creating pressure. When now you got pressure upgrades all across the board uh, on the defensive line, you know, even a guy like Matabuki who will probably be a backup to start his career, um, you know, is a massive interior pressure upgrade. So, um, when you kind of look at the spots that you feel like the Ravens are still kind of lacking it, I look at it as there's opportunities at each of those positions for guys to really step up and for them to be all, all right at all those spots. So, you know, uh, I'm one of those people that kind of I'm obsessed with the team building portion of it. So I'm always kind of looking ahead and I was looking at this roster and kind of looking at, you know, what would be the needs for 2021 and just spinning it forward. And, 
man, there's not really a lot of pressing needs right now or going forward. So, you know, hats off to Eric DaCosta and, you know, the job that this organiz- organization has done because they put together a pretty talented, balanced and young roster. But they also have, you know, veterans they can lean on, too. So, you know, good times, um, you know, for Ravens fans. Absolutely. And keep your keep your eye. You you said it on that edge rush position, because I don't think they're done there. Um, I think you could see them add another veteran player. Uh, you see people link Clay Matthews to the Ravens a lot. Again, you're not talking about you're basically looking at a guy who's going to come in and be a part of a rotation. Right. So right. you might be thinking about a, a more veteran guy like that and, and be asking yourself, ah, how much does he have left in the tank? Well, ideally, he's not going to be playing a full snap load, you know, right. ideally. <laughs> so uh, if you can get a guy like him, throw him in the mix with McPhee, with a young developing Jalen Ferguson, um, you know, and, and kind of have those guys rotate obvi- uh, opposite Judon, who, who should be on the field for most of the defensive snaps. Um, I think you could you could do worse, right, than than having a rotation with those guys in it. So I'm not, I, I don't know. None of us know if it's going to be Clay Matthews, but I, I think that they're probably going to add another player there. And in terms of the roster building, I agree with you totally, Kerry. Uh, DaCosta has got this thing in a good position. Um, the only thing I will say is uh, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey. Dollar, dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> dollar, dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> that, that, is, that is what's coming, particularly with Ronnie Stanley, because Houston done jumped out there like a damn fool Stupid. and bumped the left tackle market up to $22 million, where I think the next guy was at like 16 and a half. Six, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then, then B.O.B. just doing what he does. and So, yeah, you're just going to have to deal with that. But anyway, when Chris. I saw him sign sign um that guy all i could think about was bernie mac in <laughs> players club when luke came in and they hit the button money <laughs> money yeah yeah money. <laughs> that's it man that's it soon as i saw that deal i was like oh shit. <laughs> that's all i could think to myself because i was like look ronnie was gonna get paid there was never no question about that but it's a different level of getting paid. The bar has been set at a different level now. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how that negotiation goes. And then, like I said, you got Marlon Humphrey not far behind that. So, and then of course, you know what, after the end of 2020 or is it 2021, whatever year Lamar is eligible, you already know what, what's uh-huh. what's coming uh, with that situation. <laughs> so, if he has another year anywhere close to this year, I'm not even predicting another, you know, MVP season, but just another, you know, year of playing at a really high level. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, he, he's going to be in a Mahomes situation. Just open up the checkbook. You fill it out. Right. right whatever number on it. Cause Back up that's the what it's going to be. I hope he follows the pattern of Mahomes. Oh, Madden cover, then Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, sir. Love that. We would all love that, man. And and like I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, if you were to go back to 2018, like right now you look at it and people kind of see it through a lens of being like a little dis- disappointed because they've been out in the first round the last year. But if you were to go back to that 2018 draft and tell me that this guy was going to come in and the team would win, I don't know, what has it been, 22, 23 games in his first two years with him as a starter and be in the playoffs both years? Just to, on that draft night, if you told me that, how could you be disappointed with that? So, 
I mean, I, I know they obviously didn't get to where they wanted to go um, the last two years. And as fans, obviously, we were hoping they would get further. But, I mean, it's moving in the right direction. Anyway, Chris, last up, your, your, your closing thoughts. So uh, mine is a little bit different from uh, the draft talk. I, w- I want to talk about something that I've been seeing for the last few weeks, and that's Hollywood Brown. And uh, if you follow Hollywood Brown on any social media, you see that he's just nonstop putting in work, whether it's on a jugs machine, lifting weights, running routes, just trying to get more flexible, getting his foot stronger, whatever it is, he's doing it. And to me, that just shows like, you know, we, we've been so starved for a number one wide receiver for the Ravens for so long. With all the misses where you have the Travis Taylors of the world, the Mark Clayton's of the world, the Brashad Perrimans of the world. And you see a guy like Hollywood who played last year and who did well on a bum foot. And you see him this offseason just getting bigger, getting stronger, getting faster. And it's that's something that, that can get us really excited to see, you know, a guy who's in his second year and who he's working like, like you know, like he's a vet, like. Right. You would you would think he's taking notes from from Jerry Rice with how he's working out, and that's exactly what you want to see. And the the Tyler Dunn uh, article that came out last week on Bleacher Report said that he was playing at 156 pounds, and he said right now he's 170 pounds. So he he's just getting stronger, and he's I I feel like he's going to have a really really big season next year. I and I, I just I can't wait to see it, and I, and I'm happy that they got him, and this and this just shows the kind of character that they're looking for. When you just look at this last draft class where a bunch of guys were team captains or team leaders, this is what, this is what you get when you, you draft those kind of guys, self starters who are, who are going to work to be great. You know, these aren't just guys that are going to say I'm talented. You know, I could just practice when I have to practice. I'll just show up to the game when I have to show up to the game. When you're in the NFL, it's on you to make yourself better on, on your time off. You have to get better. You have to put into your body in order to become greater. And as you know, I'm as a fan, I'm happy to see that he's he's been doing it and trying to take his game to another level. That's what you get from them South Florida boys, man. Don't mm-hmm. don't get it twisted. Don't don't let the chains and the grills fool you. <laughs> you, can, you can talk. They're going to work. Yep, That's sir. what they do. <laughs> they are going to work. They, and they work because they, that's, they see it as a way out. Their conditions right. are bad, bad, bad. And they see sports as as their way out. Yeah. And nothing, you know, Hollywood, everybody know his story by now. Wasn't nothing given to Hollywood. Right. Mm-mm. You know, wasn't nothing given to him. Yeah. yeah. Working at Six Flags yeah. like four years ago, who's working at Six Flags? <laughs> yeah. This, this, this dude had to earn it. You know, and you can you can look at what he did at Oklahoma and say, okay, he's at a big school, and look at the quarterbacks he played with and the numbers he put up. But you gotta you gotta go back further than that and look at where he started to earn that. Did nobody give him that? You know, he had to go out and work for that, and he did. So you could see that work ethic then. You still see it now. You see the same thing with Lamar, right? Everybody was Mm -hmm. talking about what he couldn't do after 2018. All he did was come back and show you what he could do. <laughs> and, and maybe just a yeah, and maybe just a glimpse of what he can do. So you know that you can you can you can talk about these guys and what they can't do and their limitations if you want. But I'd like to just echo your point, Chris. I like that 
they drafted these guys with that mindset, guys who want to work, guys who want to get better. And it's not so much about proving people wrong, even though, you know, they'll come out and say not bad for running back and all of that. And there's some of that. They definitely won't prove people wrong. But it's about proving the team right. You always hear Lamar talk about the team. You know, they 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 took a chance in me. They showed faith in me, you know, and I want to I want to I want to show them that they made the right decision. So it's going to be exciting, man. We, we got a young, young, talented nucleus on offense, you know, uh, uh, an upcoming defense with the picks that they've added in this draft. So it's an exciting time to be a Ravens fan. There's no doubt about that. So we're going to go ahead and wrap the show. We'll be back at you guys sometime soon. Um, we probably won't take as long a layoff as we did after the draft. But like I told you, I'm old and I needed to sleep. So <laughs> we'll get back at y'all. We'll probably do some fantasy stuff, Carrie, as, as usual. Uh, the mastermind been kicking around some ideas uh, for for another, you know, kind of special show idea. So it might be something around fantasy football. And um, we'll get at y'all soon. Appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you, yes, coach. Sir. Thank you for being on, man. We appreciate it. Come up with the clowns on. You stuck with the clowns on. You a big cheese, you got your black on body, remain in the cheese. Until the moment you expire, you know what it is. You make nothing out of something, you handle your business. And don't be crying in the seven, you a big cheese. You got your black on body, remain in the cheese.